everyone to all about windows phone insight podcast 156 i'm steve litchfield with me rafe blanford yes hello everybody it's the week after the big announcement so i'm sure we'll still be digesting some of that in fact we've got a little bit of catching up to do from that but also as ever trying to give you some fresh content as well so we're going to be uh, chatting through a few things in fact um, it's a bit of a mystery because we haven't done show notes this week because we know a few of the things we want to talk about um so what are we going to kick off with steve well, I thought we'd mirror the amount of time that Microsoft gave to each item in our in our podcast today, actually in the podcast. So, yes, they launched the 550 and onto the band too. Um, <laughs> basically, Microsoft on stage gave the Lumia 550 launch a literally less than 10 seconds. They just basically said, well, yeah, yeah, we've announced a new budget handset. It's coming out at roughly the same time. And they just moved straight on. But in fairness, there was a lot going on last week, as you probably gathered from our podcast. We, we spent about an hour chatting about just a two or three items they launched, including the two flagships, of course, Rafe. But uh, the 550 is still notable in the sense that it's Microsoft simplifying its range. We had this whole thing, Satya Nadella, about two or three months ago now, saying that they, they wanted to you know, really double back on it and just focus on key areas where they could actually see it, Microsoft making a difference and leave the rest of the uh, the ecosystem, leave the rest of the, the, the hardware slots and the product ranges, as it were, to their, their OEMs and their partners. So the Lumia 550 is kind of the uh, the reference budget device from Microsoft at the budget end, whereas the 950 of 950 XL are the reference devices at the top end. No surprises whatsoever, really, on the 550. 4.7-inch 720p screen, initially rumoured to be AMOLED, which I was very doubtful of, but it was then confirmed to be LCD. Uh, Snapdragon 210, which is a bit disappointing, but there we go. Uh, gig of RAM, though, 8GB internal storage, 5 meg main camera, 2 megapixel front, and 1905 mAh replaceable battery. So absolutely no surprises. It's extremely bottom end, give it apart from the fact that it's got that gig of RAM and thus meets the minimum requirements for Windows 10 mobile. But uh, my, my main query, actually, Rafe, was not the fact that the Lumia 550 exists, but the fact that the, the launch prices they were quoting equated in pounds to something like 120, 125 pounds. I thought there is no way on earth they're going to get that from anyone, certainly in the UK. And I can only assume that that's just literally a reference price and that we'll be seeing it, for example, in the UK on pairs, you go at about, I don't know, 79, 89 pounds. Does that sound more realistic? Yeah. I mean, it's something I mentioned briefly when we touched on the 550 uh, in the last podcast. I said, I thought that pricing was actually a bit, bit hard to stomach, but if you look at it, it's actually not that out of line with where some of the, and this is going to sound strange, the upper low end devices were so this isn't the kind of the really cut down version this is kind of a 550 rather than how can i explain it a 545 or something like that um the reason i say that is because there's clearly been multiples of these low-end devices and some have really cut things back but if you look at the specification here actually you know things like the 720p screen the giga ram you know it, it is just a little bit a cut above what we used to expect the kind of that 500 series to be so it explains why it's a, a bit much i still think the pricing maybe is an interesting issue here because you know we'd actually commented very favorably on how things like the 435 had uh you know got the price of windows phone right down made it almost competitive with the cheapest android device and we said that actually if you compare them side by side the windows phone devices resulted in a much better experience you know 
in terms of the amount of money that you were spending. And I think that will be true of the 550 as well. But it does cut off perhaps a bit of the low-end market, which in the last few years is where Windows Phone has found its success. But that said, you know, it's made it been made clear by Microsoft that they're kind of moving away from that model. And so, you know, that's a good way of getting lots of uh, unit shipments. But if you care less about that, which Microsoft would appear to do so now, then actually selling lots of low-end phones doesn't really do much for you uh, as a platform in many ways. And so it's probably the sensible decision while still maintaining that option, maybe for enterprise users or for people who want to try out Windows Phone, of having a really, you know, good value option. Um, but what I think it will do is maybe take a couple of million of the lowest cost sales away um, uh, and the reason they've announced this, obviously, is just to kind of get that hardware at the lowest thing current. And it, things like the Snapdragon 210, it's just the latest version of that chipset. And as you mentioned, a couple of bumps on the spec, you know, the gigabyte of RAM is, is something that stands out. Um, and I think all of what we've been saying is kind of reflected in the fact that Microsoft really did race through it very quickly indeed. Um, and, and as you sort of suggest that this is going to be replacing a bunch of the low-end handsets in time. And so, you know, we won't see that things like the 540 or the 435, the 530, you know, will gradually disappear to be replaced by this. And that makes a lot of sense. Uh, it does provide a pretty neat answer to the to the question, where is Microsoft going to start Windows 10 Mobile in terms of devices? It is going to have a low-end one. We've now got a high-end one. Uh, Microsoft talked about having three categories. It does suggest that there's maybe one more to come. Now, is that going to be something in the enterprise? Is that the sort of 640 XL category? Or are they going to broaden that a little bit and maybe have two things in the mid team? You know, there have been rumours of sort of 840 and 850 type devices. Um, I suspect that Microsoft doesn't entirely know itself. I mean, it's, it's worth remembering that with all of these devices, these come out of kind of what was Nokia planning and certainly then Microsoft devices planning while the strategy was still to kind of have a broad reach across the market. Um, you know, devices like this take a couple of years in development. So they quite clearly trace their origins back, if you like, to Nokia routes rather than Microsoft routes. And it's going to be another year or so, uh, arguably even a bit longer before we'll see a kind of a pure Microsoft device. I think on, depending on your point of view, that's either something to look forward to because, you know, you like the surface and what that you know, hardware division has been doing or something, you sort of say goodbye to the kind of the tradition of Nokia devices and, and that design, which I think clearly the latest Lumias owe much more to their Nokia ancestry than anything from Microsoft. Um, you know, everyone's always going to take that opportunity to say, is this the last Nokia device? Well, no, technically that was the 830. Um, in practice, actually, these, you know, the 950, the 550 uh, are, are probably the last ones that come under that full Nokia planning. And as we go forward now, there, there'll be much more hybrid devices. And even these are hybrids, if I'm honest. So the 550 is interesting from that point of view as well. But I suppose the most interesting thing about the 550 is that it got released at all, because it does tell us a lot about what Microsoft is thinking about. And clearly it does want to maintain some momentum in that low end, even if it's not, as I say, doing that lowest of low cost devices. Yeah, well, it's clearly a reference device, and certainly in my eyes, and I don't don't expect Microsoft to sell more than even a few million Lumia 550s. I think the the Windows 10 mobile OEMs around the world, I expect they'll provide the the millions at the low end. If indeed it sells millions at all, we're hoping it will, and that Windows 10 really takes off. I want to just go back to that idea of a, a Microsoft only, you know, a Microsoft conceived uh, Windows 10 mobile device. We've heard rumours for quite a while, Rafe, of uh, an aluminium 
Lumia or an aluminium Windows phone. We thought, well, this doesn't quite sound right, but it's becoming more and more evident, especially after last week's event, that, that there is this whole design language based around metal coming from Microsoft under the Surface brand. And I think it started to make absolute sense that sometime, I'm sort of thinking of the middle of 2016, there will be a launch of a an aluminium unibody Windows 10 mobile device, some Surface phone or other with some number attached to it. Um, and that will presumably be right at the top end. I'm guessing sort of six, 650, 700 pounds, but absolutely premium. Whereas the, by which time the Lumia 950, 950 XL will be down in the sort of 350, 400 range. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit difficult to look at the crystal ball here because um, the one question is, you know, would the Lumia brand continue? Would it be subsumed into uh, Surface? I know uh, having watched you know, various comments on Twitter and people have said to me they'd love to see a Surface phone and actually prefer it over the Lumia phone. I think I'm on record as saying I actually prefer the Lumia brand. I mean, the Surface to, doesn't mean much to me. And I say that despite actually being a Surface Pro 3 owner, you know, uh, and I guess that probably reflects my device ownership history um, and kind of experience. And to a certain extent, I think that is actually probably a US-European uh, divide. And what's certainly true that in the last... 12 months, though, even over the last couple of years, uh, Nokia and then subsequently Microsoft and that sort of mobile devices has become more US focused and more of a, a US company. And that's partly in the conception of the device and the way things are put together, you know, partly reflected in the job losses. And uh, you know, previously, uh, a lot of it went on in Finland. That's certainly been dialed back. It hasn't gone altogether by any means. Um, but I think kind of the leadership and the thinking has changed. And it it's a bit of a subtle distinction to make, and I don't want to overplay this point, but I, I think it's interesting. Uh, and so to answer your, you know, your question, yes, I mean, I think that's a you know, pretty much a guaranteed thing that's going to happen. Quite what form it will take, you know, whether that's a, a Surface phone or a Lumia phone, but that language and that design philosophy, if you like, it will take the cues from what Microsoft talked about in that event in terms of you know, devices that, you know, break boundaries or, you know, set a category in a new direction and that's certainly what microsoft has done with the surface pro 3 it's very noticeable there's been a lot of copycat devices there will it be able to do something similar with phones that's going to be really interesting to see and actually frankly it's it's quite exciting um, because it's microsoft's attitude is less about you know we need to ship a certain number of phones to make the platform viable it's more about you know how can we push this back a bit and then encourage oems to do their work I mean, coming from sort of more traditional mobile interest review, it, it, it seems a bit, bit suicidal to the platform itself. And you wonder whether that will reduce the sales of devices to just a few million. I mean, I think the cynics might argue, is that even going to make a difference? And maybe that's a, a fair point. But of course, we are starting to talk about a year out, a couple of years out, and actually we'll then start to have a much better idea about whether this idea of windows across devices and that similar experience and even universal apps really has some momentum behind it and you could even start to think about you know does that mean x86 rather than arm powered device in terms of the chipsets and thinking for mobile devices and that whole thing comes up again to me you know as i said i think i am certainly my conclusions are in part based on my experience and perhaps bias because of that it, it feels something that's quite risky and i hear people talking about surface phone and this sort of you know windows coming down onto the phones and it feels like the wrong approach to me but i'm i'm perfectly willing to be open to the fact that that could be exactly the right thing for microsoft to do and i think actually the reality is it won't be one thing or the other you know there it, i think it's popular you know 
when you read some of the comments on forums and in social media to kind of set up this kind of antagonistic it's you know the traditional Nokia supporters versus the kind of the Microsoft people who who regard it as the future I, I don't think it's that simple honestly I think there, there's a, a mix in between um, but I guess that's a long-winded way of saying yes there's a Surface phone on the way whether it ends up being called Surface but I think it will the, the design of it will um, uh, uh, you know inherit a lot from Surface and um, Microsoft you know um, the, the spokesman panel it, it talked about that and I think we'll we'll see more of that going forward. Yes, yeah, several people have been questioning Microsoft's commitment to the platform, Windows 10 Mobile going forwards. And this, you know, we, we have this demo of Continuum by Microsoft and the flagship hardware. And we think, well, where is it matched elsewhere? What, what other manufacturers are going to come on board and help them fly the flag? And uh, just wanted to give a shout out really to Ace, Acer, who launched the Liquid Jade Primo a couple of months ago, actually, now in September. We just didn't see much of it then. We saw a bit more of it over the last few days. There have, there have been other events around the world where they've been showing this off. And, uh, they also seem pretty excited. They seem to be pushing this continuum idea and their their flagship Windows 10 mobile phone very, very prominently. Uh, I still don't think this is going to actually launch before January 2016 at the earliest, but we have at least got one other manufacturer now right at the top end who's also pushing this idea of Windows 10 mobile being the way forward for the professional. And uh, I do wonder, Rafe, whether we might see more than one before the end of the year. Yeah, it, it's difficult. No, I mean, it is very noticeable that Acer is not the, one of the kind of manufacturers you traditionally associate with kind of smartphones, but they've actually, you know, sold a, a fairly large number of Android devices. And it's probably a bit un, unfair to talk about that because actually most of the manufacturers you wouldn't necessarily recognize from five years ago. It's really just, uh, uh, Samsung and, you know, even Sony's gone through a whole bunch of changes. Um, so I think we probably will see a few more pick up. The, the proof would actually be whether they managed to sell any of these because it's notable that it's kind of Microsoft hardware partners and you almost suspected a bit of a deal has been done there. So they said, you know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, you know, bring out one of these <laughs> devices with Windows 10 mobile on it. And I said, there's still a lot of uncertainty around it. And, I, I, you know, I think you do have to recognize there is a new reality now for Windows 10 mobile in that it, it is not going to be competing in the same way that it used to be. And so you do start to wonder, you know, in markets like the UK, will it fall back from the 10% that it's it's currently at? And, you know, what does that mean for the platform as a whole and for those of us who, you know, write about it and use the devices? You know, it does bring up some, you know, questions. I mean, I think, you know, those who are very negative about it would just say, it's dead, I'm not interested, don't want to think about it. But, uh, you know, actually, to me, there's still a lot to think about the impact it may have. I still you know, prefer using a, a Windows phone and now a Windows 10 mobile device to anything else. So just a lot of that is because I'm familiar with it. But I think we you know, made quite a strong case that having that uniformity between Windows 10 on the desktop and Windows 10 mobile is actually something that's potentially quite a powerful experience. And, you know, continuum and universal apps then becomes part of that discussion um, as well. And so, you know, a couple of people have asked me, you know, why are you still interested in you know, what Microsoft is doing in mobile? And, yeah, you know, it's not that I'm exclusively interested in that because don't get me wrong, you know, like a lot of other people, you know, uh, I have access to another phone, an Android and iPhone, um, both, you know, personally and, and through work. But that doesn't mean I've kind of written off Microsoft altogether. And so that's still the device I choose to use uh, personally. And I'm <laughs> convinced that that will remain the case with the, now I've seen the Lumia 950. Uh, but yes, you know, you, you're, you're right. It's interesting to see a couple of supporters come out. I don't put much 
um, emphasis behind Acer. I mean, they've done a few Windows Phone devices in the past. They haven't sold in significant numbers. I mean, that's but that's been true of the ecosystem for a while now. You know, Nokia and then Microsoft has been responsible for 95% plus of the devices. And so it's a bit unfair to say, oh, they're not going to do anything critical because they're starting basically from nothing. So anything that they do will be a, a significant achievement. But you know, there are some worrying signs around the lack of um, operator support. You know, in the US, it's noticeable that the 915 has been picked up by AT&T. There doesn't seem to be much other activity. There's a question about whether Microsoft is pushing it or whether the operators are saying no. In Europe, it seems a bit healthier. Certainly, um, you know, there is a momentum behind operators picking up the 950. Um, but you know, it's one of those periods where if you choose to be negative about it, you, you absolutely can be. And, you know, I don't think, you know, those of us who are commentating on it and who are interested in talking about podcasts should shy away from that and say, yeah, that is happening. It's clear Microsoft signal kind of a different strategy, but to write it off altogether to me seems incredibly premature. Um, and, and maybe actually we're going to touch on this on the top 40 app gap as well because it's not the only reason you might might buy a phone so you know it's interesting to see acer talk about it i'm sure there'll be a few other manufacturers come along um you know, if you look at some of the ones who've been doing the reference design they're probably yeah, good bets particularly for the lower end devices but you know the i wonder whether we'll see someone else put that and you know acer has a, a kind of similar name asus who've also been a good partner to microsoft and even someone like dell it's not out of the realms of possibility um it's going to be an interesting one to watch and actually i'm I, as you can probably tell from as i'm um slightly lost for words here it's something i'm still thinking about i haven't really fully digested yet because i kind of wonder what's going to happen next um because it's clear that microsoft is on a, a different track uh, panos panos made that kind of clear when he presented all the devices and that microsoft has a kind of different vision for what it's doing with hardware Honestly, it does feel like they kind of don't have much of a direction in mobile and they've got, ma- you know, they've still got this massive mountain to climb. There's not even that much indication. Are they really going to cl- try to climb it? Are they trying to get their partners to climb it? Whatever. And, uh, you know, so there is still, I guess, a lot of uncertainty around it. Um, but as I say, that doesn't mean I'm sort of just writing off and not interested. I, I actually think it's just uh, necessary to be realistic about where things are. Yeah, and in the meantime, we get the Lumia 950 and 950 XL to enjoy, caress, and play Absolutely. with. So I think so. I'm not going to complain. And, and I think the <laughs> the thing about that is, you know, those who want to use device are going to have a great device to use. And actually, I think it's quite clear that Microsoft is going to do at least one more. And and honestly, I think it will for the foreseeable future will continue to create these things because it realizes how important it is to have a stake in mobile. And you know. I think if anything we've learned from the last 10 years of smartphones, how quickly things can change. And I'm not suddenly suggesting Microsoft will motor back in front and overtake or anything, Um, but you can build quite a sustainable business by having these kind of almost these flagship or these halo devices that may or may not then have an impact elsewhere. There is a question around how much does it cost to run, you know, doing that device business and continuing to create Windows 10 Mobile as a software platform that's separate to Windows 10, but that probably gives a hint of where I think things are going. You know, there will be far more of a merger between the two. And, you know, as I say, if you're a consumer, you're probably not interested in these more kind of uh, industry-focused discussions or kind of me waffling about where I think things are going. But the message you probably want to take away is there's now the 950 and 950 XL, which really don't have many compromises in them. And it really is about the software. And so there is, in one sense, a more a pure question now. Do you want to use Windows 10 Mobile and the advantages bring? Great. You've got a handset you can buy. 
and there's going to be one next year and I think the year after that. Looking beyond that, who knows? But I think you could probably say that about a lot of the uh, flagship manufacturers actually these days. Yeah, yeah. Uh, moving on, but staying with hardware, I wanted to touch, we did promise, on the Microsoft Band 2, or as Microsoft calls it, the Band still, <laughs> depending on where you look. In some places on their website, it's the Band 2. In other places, it's just the Band, which is absolutely fine. It's basically curvier. It's more durable, though, interestingly, still not fully waterproof, which I think is a bit of a misstep, really. Uh, a curved screen now uh, is OLED. Um, now protected by Gorilla Glass 3. There's a barometer for measuring elevation, which I, I guess is good for climbers and hikers. They also highlighted the fact that it will track you as you climb stairs and count stair climbing as extra credit towards your daily health, which is rather interesting. Plus the measurement of VO2 max, which is something to do with the maximum uh, volume of oxygen consumption. I, I, I believe other smartwatches have actually tried to measure that and become a cropper in the past, not least the Apple Apple Watch. So it uh, be in- interesting to see how good my, a job Microsoft makes of it. But they've got a pretty good track record in the sensor so far in the band. I think this band too could do rather well, Rafe. The, the, the original band seemed to me a bit like a prototype and I kind of reviewed it as such and said it showed promise, but there were all these rough edges. And uh, no pun intended, this literally has smoothed off the rough edges and become curved. <laughs> <laughs> and looks much more like a, cons- a consumer product now. And apart from the waterproofing, I think I'd be prepared to give this a hearty thumbs up without even seeing it. Yes, I mean, I, w- I would say that as well. This is kind of the product it should have been first time round. Um, actually, in terms of the hardware and what it does, it doesn't change all that much because Microsoft, since they announced the band, have been updating it and the addition of goal functionality relatively recent is an example of that. I think you can be pretty confident that they're going to do something uh, similar. But yes, there are a couple of additions and I think identifying the stair, stair counting is actually the best thing about the barometer. The VO2 max, it's not entirely clear how that's going to work. I have to look into it in a bit more detail, but it is a big deal because it's one of those sporting measures that's uh, you know talked about an awful lot. I mean, be, be it cyclists or running and it's what's uh, humans maximal potential and actually it's often used as a way of accusing people of um, you know, having taken illicit or performance enhancing substances if you <laughs> get a vo2 max which is considered out of the possibility of human range um but also as you as you say it's actually a, a really interesting measurement to be able to do that uh, i'm not aware of any other wearable having really pulled off successfully um so interesting to see how the bank goes with that it'll be also interesting to see whether some of the accuracy has improved i mean heartbeat was a notable one depending on how you wore the band that could be a little bit variable um but i think the big thing here is the design has been fixed i mean this is now a curved thing rather than feeling like a a lumpy thing on your wrist and while i haven't worn one myself i'm pretty fair to say they they've clearly thought about that it's still relatively bulky um, the battery's actually switched to be in the buckle rather than in the main body of the unit. And that's one of the things that really helps it maintain that kind of curve shape. But also, I think that will also help when you're using it. I mean, I've used and seen a, Ga- a Samsung Gear Fit, which takes a very similar approach with kind of a curved screen, kind of long, oblong screen as well. And it, it does work pretty effectively. And it is sort of sitting in this space between kind of the basic fitness wearables from the likes of Jawbone and Fitbit and a full-on smartwatch. And actually, it is notable that this does a lot of those kind of notification things very well that a smartwatch, uh, for me at least, has provided the greatest utility. I think if you talk to people who have um, worn a smartwatch regularly, the idea of using apps on it hasn't really come to fruition. It doesn't mean it won't, but almost always there's that ability to be notified about something and be able to take a decision about whether they need to take action on it is 
what's most useful and certainly wearing the band i think that's also been the case so having that good strong support for notifications and the feeling that actually it fits in pretty well with uh, windows thanks to its use of tiles and the way it operates and cortana integration for example makes this pretty attractive um actually there's Interestingly, I noted today that Microsoft is actually in the UK offering kind of a cashback if you trade in your old Microsoft band. I think it's £70 cashback um, once you've bought the, the new one. So effectively, that means you get the new one for £130, which sounds like a bit of a steal uh, to me to be able to get this upgrade, um, something for the early adopters to actually benefit from. Um, and yeah, you know, this is the kind of wearable that makes most sense, I guess, if you're a Windows phone owner if you're looking for something more than just the fitness tracking, which, you know, so, you know, the Fitbit app works really well on uh, Windows phone. It's something I've used for the past 18 months or so. And uh, I'm very tempted by this band too, I have to say. So yes, like you, without seeing it, I'm willing to kind of having, you know, seen and had a chance to play with uh, the original one. The fact that this is now improved um, in terms of the design is really the big step up here. Yeah, I'm just looking at the material it's made from. Thermal plastic elastomer silicone vulcanate. Now, th th those <laughs> words, do they not scream, should darn well be waterproof to you? I mean, I'm playing also with the original band in my hands now. And it seems, the materials, it's rubberized and sealed. It, it, it feels and seems as if it should be waterproof. And yet Microsoft absolutely says, do not wear this in the bath or the shower. You will break it. Um, Surely they've improved the water resistance here. We are, I'd, be, I'd be dying to try it and, and look at the small print on the box it comes with. Is that this, any smartwatch worth its salt surely has to be waterproof. If you can't at least take it in the shower for five minutes, constantly taking it on and off is a real, real pain. And it's one of the big advantages of things like the Fitbit and the Pebble. Yeah, although I, I, I will say, even for the waterproof wearables, for some reason I've trained myself to take them, them off. Uh, I think that depends entirely on what you're going to use it for and what your kind of modus operandi is. I mean, to me, waterproofing isn't a big deal at all. And um, uh, I will say that from speaking to a couple of people who own them, using it out in the rain and sort of exercising in bad weather is not going to be a problem. Um, I suspect Microsoft are kind of hedging their bets here a little bit in that they don't want you fully immersing it in water or subjecting it to a shower or something like that. And certainly they don't want you swimming with it. Um, I suspect it might stand up better than, better than you think, but it certainly hasn't got any of those kind of waterproofing standards. Uh, and if you look at the design itself, there are clearly places where water could get in. There's, you know, things like the, uh, the microphone hole and various clips and sort of some of the places where there's buttons and sensors. So maybe it's just Microsoft being a bit careful, but. I was a little bit surprised, if I'm honest, because obviously there are ways of getting around those. You can put gaskets around things and put uh, waterproofing into these kind of devices, and you know, that's what gets done elsewhere. It, it does surprise me a little bit that you know, there, there wasn't a bit more effort made here. Um, it would be interesting to know whether there's a particular reason for that. So it's uh, maybe something we should ask Microsoft at a future point in time. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, before we um, finish the podcast, obviously we've got about uh, five to ten minutes to go. I wanted to cover an article I wrote yesterday as we record this. Um, in, terms of, in terms of the app gap, people talk about the application gap and uh, from Windows Phone, Windows 10 Mobile, up to iOS and Android. So I thought I'd do what I do kind of periodically, about every three or four months, and take the top 40 applications, paid and free, on the iOS and Android app stores and kind of merge them into one big, huge, humongous Radio 1-style top 40, and then look at the equivalents um, for Windows Phone and Windows 10 Mobile. And 
on the whole, I think I think the the platform fared fairly well. In quite a few cases, I had to go to third party alternatives, but there were only three or four where there really wasn't any kind of equivalent. And the the teenager next to me would say, "Ah, oh, but this the, the apps doesn't go to the ones I use every day." And that's absolutely fair enough. Some of the trendy things like Instagram and Snapchat are the ones that are missing. But uh, for anyone, certainly of our generation, Rafe, who's used slightly more. Sensible? Is that too snobbish? No. Slightly more professional applications, more serious applications. I think most things are now quite doable on Windows Phone and Windows 10 Mobile. And we'll come perhaps to my three caveats in a minute. But uh, overall, I gave a a report card of uh, improving but could do better. Do you think that was fair? I think that's fair. I mean, I remember having this conversation. You've actually done a version of this article a few times over the years. And the situation is much better than it was when Windows Phone 8 first came out, and certainly Windows Phone uh, 7 and 7.5, where the situation was pretty dire, if I'm honest. Um, And it's probably reflected in my usage of apps that I don't really notice any significant emissions. Um, I suspect that's because I've sort of stepped back from using loads and loads of apps uh, just in my kind of smartphone life in general. Uh, You know, the browser and some of the core social and the utility apps have become more important. Well, I think there's perhaps more of a problem is in, in games, and actually this article isn't looking at that, because they too tend to be more of the moment and go through kind of, I, I don't want to call it um, trends or fads exactly, but if you think about Angry Birds or Candy Crush, you know, everyone starts playing them, and then interest in those tends to tail off gradually. And you know, sometimes it can take quite a long time. Angry Birds is a good example. They've been able to maintain their place towards the top end of the app chart but they're certainly not the big hit maybe that they were a few years ago and we've had others come in and that's where windows phone suffers a bit more i mean it's noticeable that for example candy crush soda saga has only just come out for uh windows phone you know long way behind the other platforms and so those who feel it's important to have the latest app as soon as possible are still going to find and see a big app gap on uh, windows phone those who are less bothered about that and have a sort of core of critical apps um, and maybe regard their their smartphone as something that helps them in their kind of you know working life and to a certain extent kind of productivity in their daily life are probably going to find less of an issue because there are um, many fewer gaps than I think there used to be and this is reflected in this top 40 that you were looking at I mean as you say you did actually have to caveat a few of these and sort of go to third party ones um, and I would also add that it's not just about whether they're available or not. It's about the quality of them and whether they've got the most recent versions. And I think Instagram is a a good example of that where it doesn't have the most recent features and you see something similar for the the Twitter and arguably quite a few other applications. And again, I guess that depends how much you want access to those things immediately. The core functionality is nearly always there. And there are certainly examples where Windows Phone has a superior app, arguably, to the other platforms. And that's partly about the design language, the way they've been implemented. And actually Fitbit, I think, is a good example of that, where it's probably easier to use on a Windows Phone device than it is elsewhere. Um, But it also then will depend on what your ecosystem choices have been prior to, you know, the time you either adopt Windows Phone or, or you know, you're using it. Because if you're using something like, you know, Google Photos, for example, or if you're using iCloud PhotoStream, there aren't really the equivalents on Windows and you will have to switch out of the ecosystem. And I think there are quite a number of core apps that fall into that category where, you know, if you're really used to using the Gmail app, you're kind of to an extent locked into 
uh, Android, although it is available for iOS as well, but it's definitely not available for Windows Phone. And so there are some of those which you've labelled as equivalents being available. And I'd say yes, but with the caveat that actually the equivalents won't be regarded as equivalents by some people. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a better situation than it has been for probably ever, frankly. Um, and I think the number of people who will go, actually, I'm not going to notice the app gap on Windows Phone is ever increasing. And that's perhaps the most critical point, especially in the light of what I was talking about earlier with, you know, sales numbers. It'd be interesting to see, as I say, how well the apps are maintained, are they current versions? And, and that's where I think actually that's the new app gap. It's not about whether they're available. It's the quality and, you know, do they have feature parity with the other platforms? And I would suggest there's still a bigger problem there. Yeah, yeah. The, the the biggest caveat and the bottom of my article was really about the long tail applications and by which I mean stuff that's niche in the global scheme of global ecosystem, but absolutely critical to you. And for most absolutely. people, that would be, for example, their bank, wherever they are in, in the world, or or even their, down to their local corner shop, which has launched an application on iOS and Android to order stuff in their locality, in a particular town, in a particular country in the world, and yet it's not available on Windows Phone. Stuff that, in my case, utilities. I've gone on quite a few times over the years about a a, la, um, a KeyPass client for secure database, and it's, it's an open platform. It's available for every other platform under the sun except Windows Phone. There are a couple of Windows Phone clients, but they're not very good and they haven't been maintained and properly. And it's, it's just, a, it, for me, it's an absolutely critical application that I keep on getting frustrated by. And I'm sure there are equally as important um, utilities and applications and more than one for many, many people listening to this right across the world. And it must be frustrating for them. And it only needs one. It needs one program that they rely on, which isn't available. And all of a sudden they're looking at a different platform. And that is perhaps the, the biggest factor of all to take away from the article. It, it is that long tail. And as you say, it's only one app that creates that yawning app gap chasm, if you will. I think it's yeah. also worth touching on a few of the ones that actually were missing in your chart. Uh, Snapchat's an interesting one, and that we think is um, you know going to be filled in due course. There has been talk about that that for a while, but it hasn't appeared yet. So you know, uh, and there's been kind of a little bit of rowing back in terms of would there be an official app? The um, I'm sure I'm going to mispronounce this, but the Spock Boot Sale app is an interesting <laughs> one. Um, like like Steve, I hadn't heard of it until about a week ago, but they've started advertising this on the television in the UK. And I suspect this is one of the reasons that it's at the top of the app chart at the moment, because it's had a big, big media uh, spend behind yeah. it. So that's sort of driven it up the top of the app chart. But it does illustrate kind of an important point that these apps that people will see advertised, and that might be in the paper and with those familiar for iOS and for Android logos, they might look for it on Windows Phone and not find it there. And so the perception is, you know, there is still that app gap. And it's what I was talking about with these kind of more recently released apps, the ones that kind of break onto the scene. And certainly, you know, from my experience with working in mobile, you know, Windows Phone is still very much the third platform that gets done kind of almost as an afterthought, or there may be some reason you know, some coincidental reason that it gets created, it may be because, you know, they've got a certain bit of their target market means they actually have to do it. The number of uh, companies creating apps who absolutely have a policy of creating on all three platforms is relatively few and far between. And it probably is the ones, frankly, that are in the top 100 or so apps because they have the resources and the money to do so because they're already successful. And actually going after that last 5% is a, a worthwhile investment for them. Just to touch on the, I think there was one more, no, there's two more, um, and this was number 35, Gumtree, and 37, 
uh, plane finder. And I would think they're good examples of the thing that you were talking about, Steve, kind of specific utility or service apps that may not exist. And if you're a big user of those services, it's kind of really irritating that they're, they're not available. One of the ones that I'd bring up is um, the ability to pay for your parking from an app and this can be at a railway station or a shopping centre or something like that. Typically, they're not available on Windows, and you have to go through a crummy mobile site, and that can be incredibly frustrating. And I imagine if you're doing that on a regular basis, could be enough to make you go, I just can't take this anymore. Um, and, and it's interesting because I do, as I say, I have an Android phone, I have access to uh, an iPhone from work, and so um, I have access to a lot of additional apps but it's interesting i've still kept using a windows phone as my main device so obviously for me personally it's going to be different for everybody the app gap really hasn't had a an impact for me and uh, i sort of was thinking about this as I was reading this article the number of times i've actually had to pick up another device because i want to use a specific app is actually vanishingly rare uh, and i think this actually speaks to the other thing about the long tail apps that people don't appreciate is that they tend to be very infrequently used um, and there are exceptions, and I, I accept that. Um, but the kind of importance of them, and when they're not there, probably does get blown out of proportion in terms of the number of times you're actually using them or that task you want to perform. But of course, it only takes one task, as I said, only one app to open up that chasm. You know, one scenario where you, you don't want it. And when it comes to choosing your phone the next time around, you may go, well, actually, I don't want that to happen again. And if apps are really important for you, frankly, you're probably already moved away from Windows Phone. Um but, uh, you know, as I said to me, there are actually plenty of other reasons to stick with the, the platform. But it's, it's nonetheless a very interesting exercise to step through this. I think people may be slightly surprised to learn that actually they're certainly in those top 40 apps. And I suspect this would apply pretty much across the top 100 as well. There are far fewer gaps than people might, you know, have the perception of their being. Um, but I think the damage is still done, as you said, by those long tail and those kind of service or utility apps that may not exist for a specific local market. So yeah, a very interesting article, yeah. Steve. Thank you for writing this one because it's one that we've talked about a lot over the last few years. Yeah, no worries. Okay, and also something to, for you to read, Rafe, after you've finished recording this podcast, I've just put up a Lumia 1020 versus iPhone 6S camera shootout and I'll let you go and enjoy that one. After, with I'm, your I'm pretty sure you're trolling various iPhone 6S owners by, <laughs> by doing that, trying to cause, cause trouble. So I look forward <laughs> to reading all the comments that go along with that because I have to say, Putting a 1020 yeah. into it, uh, it's fair enough because obviously it's a, it's it's arguably the most capable uh, Windows Home uh, camera phone, but uh, perhaps a little bit bit older. It's going to be really interesting though to measure up the 950 and the 950XL against things like yeah. the iPhone yeah. 6s, the you know the LG G4, and the you know Xperia Z5, all of which are kind of vying for that title of uh, king of the the camera phones. But you know the the indication looking pretty promising. We've seen a few comments come back um, yet to see lots of uh, samples i think we'll probably have to wait to a bit nearer the release in november to really see those but uh, you know quick guess steve i know i asked you this last time but with a bit more information available do you think it's going to be competitive against those devices what the 950 and the 950xl yeah. Yeah, abs yeah, absolutely. In terms of um, overall specification and in terms of camera, I have very high hopes. I I, I pre-ordered a 950 just in case we couldn't get uh, uh, long-term review stuff. And I, in any case, I really want to own my own so I can keep it forever and never have to worry about it being sent back. But uh, I, I I ordered it with a fair amount of confidence because I, I the more I read about the 950, and of course the 950XL is the same camera, the, the more I'm impressed that this Yuhar and his team over at, now over at Microsoft, they seem to be still be there, still working their magic, still thinking about the right things. Yes, Z9 
hidden flash, et cetera, et cetera, yada, yada. But apart that, that one factor aside, everything seems to be moving in the right direction in terms of using latest sensors and wide apertures, et cetera, latest image processing. So I'm very optimistic and I can't wait to put a 950 head to head against the iPhone 6S and the Xperia Z5. That will be one of the delights of my life in December. Trust me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I look forward to reading Steve's opinion on that as I'm sure it does everyone listening to this. Uh, but that makes a good point. You know, if there's particular things you'd like us to to do and comparisons that you'd like us to run, always get in touch. We love hearing your feedback. We've had a couple of great emails recently, including some questions for the podcast, which we're actually going to cover it in, I think, a future podcast, Steve. We've got lined up probably for when it goes a, a little bit quieter because actually, obviously, there's still a lot more to talk about. And I think uh, next time around, we'll probably, now that we've had a couple of weeks to digest uh, what we think of the new devices, we might revisit some of those. And uh, Steve's actually already put some opinion up on the site with the uh, 1520 versus the 950XL, which makes some good points about actually the 950XL perhaps being a more worthy upgrade than uh, might suggest at first glance. But perhaps yeah. we'll uh, talk through some of that next time round. Okay, absolutely. And in the next uh, Insight podcast, I'd like to have a, another roundup, a, a run through the very latest Insiders uh, preview uh, builds, which is scheduled to come out in the next day or so as we record this. So hopefully by the time we record the next podcast, we'll have had four or five days with the, which is likely to be a, a pretty final version of Windows 10 Mobile, or at least within striking distance of the versions that will be flashed into the ROMs of the first production 950s and 950XL rave. So uh, if that's all right with you, we'll, I'll say goodbye and we'll look forward to that next week. Yeah, it's a great one to sign off on. It's goodbye from me as well. And as ever, thank you for listening and tune in next time.